be coming, we'll be coming, we'll be coming down the road. When you hear the noise of the culture swally boys, we'll be coming down the road. Hello and welcome to the Euro 2020, or is it Euro 2021? Who knows what the fuck we're calling it? Culture swally special. My name is Nicky and I am joined by the man who has just been to the doctor to check on his Euro fever. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm really well. I'm looking forward to doing this episode. I'm so excited. I, I just can't hide it. I, <laughs> I've got Euro fever. I'm wearing my Scotland top. We cuff. Well, we didn't cuff. We drew with the Netherlands the other night. We're playing tonight. Um, and I'm so excited. I've just got Euro fever. It's really bitten me. And it's really kind of sunk in that, Christ, this is the first tournament since 1998 we can actually enjoy. And I've been watching so much stuff. And uh, yeah, the Euro bug has just gotten to me now. I tend to enjoy an international tournament anyway. You know, even though, as you said before, Scotland haven't, uh, they haven't played in one since 1998. However, you know, I mean, I was lucky enough to be a young teenager and a young boy before that, from the sort of early 80s up until 1998, when it, we seemed to qualify for every single one, apart from the oh. USA in 1994. And um, yeah, I just love it. I mean, I, and I've sort of gone the curve of kind of putting the TV out in the back garden on a, on one of the table chairs and sitting out there with my, my dad and my and my papa to watch the games to to be in uh, in the pub for the 1998 games and like literally after every game or well the three Scotland games I mean there was just like an impromptu party I remember being at the Garrett Bar in Mintlow after the Brazil game which was an exciting game right you remember, you remember that game oh, it, was, it, that was, it was a it was a nail it was a nail biter ah oh, France 98 that was an amazing game yeah I watched that in Heroes in Aberdeen and I, I would have been 17 years old and ah oh, just the atmosphere was electric and I think it, that was one of Heroes' like opening days uh, yeah and I forgot that they had a massive screen and this was a huge thing for Aberdeen and that was the place to watch football and it was just electric that day it was such a great atmosphere you're right I mean Heroes was uh, for you know I mean there may be, there may be some people listening who recall it but it was state of the art for watching mm. sports you know like, to your point they had the they yeah. had the big screen down the stairs they had another big screen up the stairs you know they didn't open up the stairs that often but they would do for yeah. big games and they had st- small screens at all the booths remember yeah that was amazing yeah, yeah. yeah in the little booths there was a screen that you could watch the football yeah, whilst yeah. you were sat there that, I, I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it that was incredible yeah but no, I, I watched all three games at the Garrett Bar in Mintlaw with uh, the guys that I used to work with in the in the country park in uh, back in the early 90s when I was uh, late 90s rather when I was at college and after every single game this like I impromptu kind of party started <laughs> and I can't remember if it was the first game or the last game but it, it kind of spilled out into the car park people were turning up with bagpipes and drums and I, I remember they, right after the, the last game the, the Garrett Bar in Mintlow is on the square uh, well, it's, it's called the square it's, it's really a big roundabout uh, right in the centre of the village and um, the Scottish Conservative Party have a, a sort of headquarters I guess there a sort of uh, rural headquarters maybe and this guy I, I won't say his name but he uh, he climbed up <laughs> he climbed up the, the, the flagpole on the top of the, the Tory party HQ ripped down the Union Jack and tied a salt tyre to it and he 
<laughs> as he was sliding back down the flagpole, unfortunately, he cut his hands to fucking ribbons. But it didn't deter him from just cracking on. <laughs> Blood, beer, all sorts. It was, it was great. I remember somebody in Aberdeen fell off the top of the... What's the thing in the castle gate in the middle? You know, there's that... Um, I'm not sure what it is. Is that kind of yeah. stone? I'm not sure what it is. It's like a sort of shelter, but it's not. It, it's almost like a, a... Oh, God. I don't know what it would be described as. It's kind of like a little theatre kind <laughs> yeah, it's of a, thing. Like a bandstand. Is it like a, like, a bandstand? You know, it's exactly what yeah. it is. It's a bandstand, yes. I, I yeah. remember reading in the Evening Express that somebody fell off the top of that bandstand because the, all the Scotland fans after the Morocco game just invaded the castle gate and were, you know, we always have a good time regardless of the result. And... Um, uh, somebody fell off the top of it and ended up in Forrester Hill. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a sore one. So, I mean, I, I expose this this episode. It will be going out uh, the Thursday before Scotland play the old enemy for the first time in a while. It will be. So we will already be underway because our first game kicks off on the 14th mm-hmm. uh, against Czech Republic. And then this episode will be launching on the 17th. And yeah, the next day is a a very important day because I'm getting my first COVID jab and England against Scotland at Wembley. And it's going to be on at 9 o'clock at night here in Amsterdam, but 8 p.m. in the UK. 11 p.m. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's my... I mean, it's it's also my daughter's 13th birthday that day, which is a little bit inconvenient. But uh, all the uh, all the celebrations will be over by the time um, the game comes on. So, so we'll just have to wait and see in terms of how we're sitting after that first game um, against the Czech Republic and see how we are going into the England game. But of course, today, we're going to do things a little bit differently because it's our Euro 2021. Let's just call it Euro 2020. It makes it a lot easier. Special. Uh, So, we're not going to have a look at news today, are we, Greg? We're not. We're going to have a look at some of our favourite Scotland songs in terms of what they've done for national tours. Over the years, we have had some incredible songs that have, but by some incredible performance. We've had uh, Donny Munro. We've had Rod Stewart. We've had the Scottish Elvis, Sidney Devine. We've had Primal Scream and Irvin Welsh. We've had Midjure and Dumbarton FC. And we've had The Crankies. But we have picked our four favourites that we're going to have a look at today. So, shall we kick off? I, th- I think we should. I think it's, uh, I, th- I think you won the toss by vir- by virtue of the fact that your song's the o- your first song's the oldest. So wh- why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off? Okay, well, I would like to kick us off with what I think is probably Scotland's first World Cup song. I want to take us back to West Germany, 1974, and by the Scotland national team, it's easy, easy. Fucking amazing tune, that is. I mean, it's so glam rock. And of course it is, because it was written by Bill Martin and Phil Coulter, who, do you know, Greg, that they wrote Shang-A-Lang? <laughs> I, I, 
I did know that. I, I I found that out in my in my research for today's episode. I think they wrote a few of the Rollers um, hits, uh, Bill Martin, right? They wrote Papa on a String <laughs> by Sandy Shaw yeah. and Congratulations by Cliff Richard. But yeah, an amazing song. It reached number 20 in the UK charts. And unfortunately, Scotland's performance in that World Cup wasn't quite up to date. We beat Zaire 2-0, we drew 0-0 with Brazil, and we drew 1-1 with Yugoslavia. And of course, we went out on goal difference. (laughs) However, Scotland were the only team not to lose a game at that tournament. But we still went out in the first round. Yeah, that's kind of the the sort of story of Scotland's um, World Cup aspirations over the last kind of 50 years, isn't it? They, they, They never play terribly. They just don't play quite well enough and then and their luck is never good. But this song is just incredible. It's it's got such a glam rock vibe and it's just that banging bass drum yeah. and it's just oh it just gets you up for it. And it has the amazing lyrics of Yabba Dabba Do, <laughs> we support the boys in blue, and it's easy, easy. <laughs> Ring a ding a ding, there goes Willie on the wing. <laughs> Ring-a-ding-a-dong, we can never go wrong. <laughs> How can you, you can get yabba dabba do, ring-a-ding-a-ding and ring-a-ding-a-dong into a song? Oh, hey, I've just done it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, going after the sort of trend of, like, what was uh, Lulu's Eurovision winner from a couple of years before, Boom-Bang-A-Lang, something like that? Uh, Boom-Bang-A-Bang. Boom-Bang-A-Bang. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I'm getting my, I'm getting mixed up with Shang-A-Lang. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> when you hear that song start, it almost, it almost sounds like um, a blockbuster by Sweet. You know what I mean? Just that thump, thump, thump. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I thought as well. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you hear it, it does sound like a sweet song. Yeah, like yeah. It, it sounded like, yeah, Blockbuster or even like um, Tiger Feet. Yeah, it yeah. Kind of, it, it's got the same kind of, yeah, the, the boom, boom, boom. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's the perfect uh, song for the terraces. Nice and easy to remember when you've got a few warm, <laughs> you've got a few warm cans of tartan special floating about <laughs> your stomach <laughs> and a uh, warm pie after half time um, yeah I mean, I mean it's funny because like I mean I'm maybe getting ahead of ourselves a wee bit now but it's been you don't really get the novelty I mean I, and I don't I feel like I'm doing this song of the service by calling it a novelty record because like, we think of novelty records you think of like like granddad you know what I mean by Clive Owen who is it Clive you know what I mean the guy of dad's army and stuff so it's not really a novelty record as such but it's <laughs> But it's just something that you don't get anymore. You know what I mean? Like, but then, I mean, we're not going to talk about them, but uh, would you put, like, Vindaloo as a novelty record? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, then would you put Three Lions as a novelty record? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, I mean, right. I mean, I would do that just to be unkind about Three Lions because <laughs> I, I don't particularly care for the song. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel. I mean, I don't, I'm not one of these sort of anti-English kind of things, you know, when it comes to the football. And I know that, I know that they make it difficult to get behind them because they've sort of, you know, the way that it's publicised, every big tournament, oh, you know, blah, 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 this is going to be the tournament that England win the World Cup again, it's coming home and all that shite. But I sometimes think, well, they have won the World Cup once, albeit it was well over 50 years ago. So there is that sort of, it, 
that's in living memory for a lot of people. So there is going to be a kind of, well, they've won it once, why couldn't they win it again? You know what I mean? It's not, but... So I sort of, I sort of get, can understand why, but I just fucking don't like that song. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know what I mean? It's, I like everybody involved in the song. I like Frank Skinner. I like David Baddiel. I like the Lightning Seeds first album. I think, you know, they're good musicians, but... um. You know what I mean? And I don't believe that every single person in England likes that song. It's impossible, right? It's just impossible to... It's just, it's so... This sort of mock kind of... Oh, we're disappointed again. We only got to the semi-final. We only got to the quarter-final. I'm like, fuck off. Fucking never get out of the group stages. You don't hear it. <laughs> no, we don't fucking... You don't hear us writing verses about feeling dejected because we've gone out in penalties against fucking West Germany or another amazing team. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, gonna digress. That anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna keep my uh, my thoughts quiet on that. Uh, so yeah, so that is our '74 song, "Easy Easy." Uh, great song. Yep. And yeah, brilliant. So I think you're gonna take us a little bit further forward in time, aren't you, Greg? I am. I'm going to take us forward four years to 1978, the year I was born. Oh. And the, my song, of course, is uh, "Ali's Tartan Army." by Andy Cameron who if you live in Glasgow even live in Scotland but especially live in Glasgow Andy Cameron arguably a household name even now at the age of 80 fondly remembered written for Scotland's campaign to Argentina to the World Cup uh, we're on the road with Ali's army so reached number 6 in the charts number 6 in the UK oh. charts for a, a Scotland World Cup song 360,000 copies sold so to get oh, wow. to get to number 6 in the UK charts back in the 70s that is no mean feat because people bought that was back no. people had to go out and buy a record or a mm. 8 track or a cassette tape or whatever interestingly and I'm not sure if Andy Cameron knew this at the time being a big fan of uh, the Rangers but it's the tune that so the, the tune of the song is based on the tune of the Irish rebel song God Save Ireland <laughs> it, was, it was also uh, adopted by Ireland for their World Cup campaign in 1990 in Italy where it was changed to Jackie's Army after Jackie Charlton uh, the song was called Put Him Under Pressure um, the B-side to the song is I Want to Be a Punk Rocker the, there was a programme on the other day on BBC which uh, people might have saw which was all about um, Scotland's football songs and Andy Cameron tells a very very funny story about performing the song on top of the pops and being noised up by Billy Idol no less causing Andy Cameron's dad <laughs> to get involved and uh, threaten Mr. Idol. Uh, Andy Cameron points out that he was 38 at the time. <laughs> thought that he might, <laughs> might not need his dad to wade in for him. But I mean, this song, I mean, you know, Scotland fans still sing this song, you know, every game. Um, obviously, the lyrics are changed a wee bit. I mean, I can remember I can remember Mexico 1986 after Scotland going out and the lyrics being changed to, um, we'll have to run like fuck when we steal the World Cup as kids. 
It has the great line, we need to find a man to make all Scotland proud. He's our Muhammad Ali, he's Alistair MacLeod. Uh, obviously, the, for those of you who might not know, the Ali in question is Alistair MacLeod, the Scottish manager. And then the best line in it, because uh, famously England mm. didn't qualify for the 1978 mm. World Cup. And the, yeah. perhaps the best line, and I know, I know it's a line that Andy Cameron is very proud of, is England can't do it. Because they didn't qualify. <laughs> we're representing Britain and we've got to do or die. For England can't do it because they didn't qualify. <laughs> Great pleasure in singing that on top of the pops. And the other thing that I love about seeing the footage of um, the guys doing this on top of the pops and the other the other song that I'm going to talk about in a minute coming up is all the audience have been given like tartan scarfs and stuff to to wave. <laughs> <laughs> even when it even when it cuts back to Tony Blackburn, he's got a tartan bonnet on. <laughs> the girl beside him's got a tartan scarf on. All these like teenagers from uh, Peckham wondering what the fuck's going on. You know, <laughs> wait, wait I mean, waiting for the rollers to come out. <laughs> of course, this wasn't the official Scotland World Cup song for 1978. Was it? No, I, did, I missed the, that. What was the official song? The, the official song was Ole Ola by Rod Stewart. Of course. And that hit number four in the charts. So oh. it actually outsold Ali's Army. Wow. Which is incredible because I, I, I didn't really know that until doing research. Mm-hmm. And I listened to Ole Ola and I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about this. But I could still recite every single word of Ali's Army because it's just ingrained in me. Yeah. The the lyrics and it's such a fun song and you just you can't listen to it without smiling. Yeah. That's the thing. You just you, you have to smile and laugh and the lyrics are so good. And the video on of Andy Camera on top of the pops is hilarious. <laughs> that he's just kind of standing swaying with his little microphone and he just looks brilliant. And it's just it's so much fun. This song is incredible. It's so funny. And as I say, you just can't help but smile when you hear it. So one of the most famous lines in the song is uh, because Scotland are the greatest football team, right? So I had to be look at the lineup uh, of the Scotland squad in 1978. Right, so in no particular order, and it's it's such a strange mix of teams that these guys play for. I've I've just picked out the kind of the sort of legends, if you like. I've not taken the whole team. So you had Alan Ruff in goals at that time. He was at Partick Thistle. Yeah, uh, legend. Yeah. Kenny Burns, who was playing for Nottingham Forest at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Sandy Sandy Jardine, who was at Rangers. Gordon McQueen at Man United. Archie Gemmell at Notts Forest. Of course, he scored the famous goal against mm. Holland in their last game that yeah. we've spoken about in the Swally before. Um, Joe Harper, who was at Aberdeen. Oh, Aberdeen legend. Yeah. Uh, Lou McCarry was at Man United. John Robertson, who was also at Forest at the time. Graeme Soonis at Liverpool. Kenny Dalgleish at Liverpool. Derek Johnson at Rangers. And uh, Joe Jordan, uh, who was at Man United. So you think about all the, about that team. That's like an amazing lineup of players. So, it's a fucking incredible team. So the, And you think we lost 3-1 to Peru <laughs> in the opening game. <laughs> Drew 1-1 with Iran and then we fucking beat the Netherlands 3-2 like if you want to sum up Scotland in a tournament that is it Yeah, we beat the Netherlands 3-2 who were probably one of the tournament favourites in fact well they got to the the final against Argentina if anybody's interested there's a good documentary which sometimes comes up on BBC Alba all about Scotland's 1978 World Cup campaign and if you don't feel a wee bit sorry 
for Ali McLeod after watching that, then you've got a fucking heart of stone. I think it was so bad. I mean, in terms of it was so hyped up. And it, I mean, obviously, I, it was three years before I was born. Like, I know you were born. Mm. But the hype that you've seen around that tournament, like, genuinely, people believe that Scotland were going to go and win the World Cup. <laughs> at some of those players you know you, you can be forgiven for having some optimism <laughs> do you know what I mean genuinely for these Euros coming up I'm, I'm not like oh we're going to win it I, I'm just I want to get out the group stages yeah. <laughs> that's all I want <laughs> I don't care if I get papped out in the second round 6-0 to fucking Yugoslavia or I, I, I know Yugoslavia <laughs> you know what I mean it doesn't even exist anymore I don't care it doesn't even exist <laughs> I don't care I just want to make it through Bel- Belarus. I don't even know. I don't think they've even qualified. <laughs> just, just let us get to the second stage. Do you, do you remember when you, you and I and our mutual friends went to watch Scotland play Belarus at Hamden? I do. Yeah, vividly. Yeah, that was a that was a great day, but also a very disappointing day. Yeah. We lost one 0 They not scored like the sixth minute or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> like we we had, we, we had just had a really good result against Norway like the week before. Like yeah, I remember. Mm. Kenny Miller scored in a cracking goal against Norway and the squad looked yeah. really strong. I don't know about you, at that point I'd never fucking even heard of Belarus. I thought, right, we'll fucking go <laughs> we'll fucking go through these guys, no problem. Me and, my, me and my best pals will be there in the stand to see them win. It'll be a great day. And uh, yeah, fucking Oh, all, all because Barry Ferguson can't even forward. <laughs> Do you remember the guy behind us that was dressed as Rod Stewart? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did he have Buckfast in his pocket? Somehow, or am I making that up? He, I don't know about that. I know, I know that we had a we had a hip flask full of Southern Comfort, and we were get we got a few. Oh, we did, yeah. We had we had a few dirty looks from uh, some guys that were there with their kids. <laughs> so we passed the flask. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Yep. I mean, anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's take us out of seventy-eight. Yep. And where are we going next, Greg? On our Scotland Odyssey, well, we're just going another four years into the into the future, or the future if we were in 1978 to 1982, and B. A. Robertson's classic, "We Have a Dream." Devon like hell, and this voice is getting louder and louder and louder, crying, "Hey, begging, going yourself." Performed by John Gordon Sinclair with the the Scotland side at the time, who I will I will name a few of them later on. Also with uh, Christian, with his uh, the only Sco- <laughs> the only Scottish guy I've ever seen to successfully grow an afro. <laughs> so yeah, uh, got to number five in the charts. Uh, released in 1982 for Scotland's campaign at Espana uh, 1982, the World Cup. It was interestingly this song was re-recorded for Children in Need in 2008. Uh, the, the, they, they called the band Pudsy's Beautiful Dreamers. It featured people like Ashley Jensen, Dougray Scott, Alex Norton, Fat Bob of River City, can't remember his name, um, Edwin Collins, the, the Red Hot Chili Pipers, and none other than Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> oh, wow. 
I watched them. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't remember. I must, ad- must admit, I do not remember this. I mean, uh, ever being a thing on Children in Need in two thousand and eight. But I watched the performance of it, which I guess was on the night of the telethon. And all, all those celebrities that I mentioned there, apart from Edwin Collins and uh, Fat Bob and the Chili Pipers, they just have like people like Ashley Jensen and stuff saying some of Gordon Sinclair's lines while the more musical stuff is happening back in the studio. Can you guess the line? that they gave Samuel L. Jackson to say. They didn't give him the Hey Big Yen, gone yourself. That's did they? exactly the line they gave him to say. Hey Big Yen, gone yourself. He was obviously on on the golf course. He, he must have been over in Scotland playing golf at St Andrews or Troon or something. So I know that he's obviously famously Samuel L. Jackson is a very keen golfer. So they basically just am they've obviously just ambushed him on the fucking I don't know at the at, at the ninth tee or something and said, <laughs> Mister Jackson, we should mind recording this. It's for children in needs, big children's charity. So he comes on and says in his own accent, "Hey, biggin, go on yourself." <laughs> It's fucking hilarious. I, I, I never knew this existed, and I, I can't wait to watch this. Yeah. That's, that is incredible. Now, I mean, it, now, it's, it's funny as that bit is. I mean, it, this is <laughs> it's quite an emotional song, We we Have a Dream. Ah. You know what I mean? It generates a lot of strong patriotic feeling and you know gets you behind the, the national team this song was they, they decided in that TV show um, that I mentioned earlier the BBC One that this was their this was the number one on the show it's, uh, and I had forgotten about this song for quite a long time and obviously mm. I was only four when it came out so I, I don't remember it being in the charts and stuff you know I, I don't remember any of uh, any of the World Cup 1982 I mean I, I, I do remember some of the home international weekends the Wembley weekends um, being uh, televised when I was a little boy the Scotland England games but I don't remember uh, I don't remember this World Cup but obviously the song it makes an appearance at every uh, you know if, you know every sort of tournament that Scotland's been in uh, those were not one for a long time yeah. the song is played and um, occasionally you can hear it being sang in the stands but I mean it's it's a really really it's quite a moving song and as much as the kind of Gordon Sinclair's like spoken bits where he's talking about having a dream and all that kind of thing and he's imagining that he's, he's that John Robertson's handing him the ball uh, and all that kind of thing you know like when, the, when the pipes kick in you know what I mean if you, especially you know if you're there with all the Scotland fans whether you're at the game or you're just in the bar watching it or whatever it, it really gets you going and not in a riled up but in a really sort of kind of sentimental way you know what I mean? It's just that. I mean, this this was perfect timing. I mean, John Gordon Sinclair was just off the back of Gregory's Girl. Yeah. He was probably one of the, like the hottest properties in yeah. Scotland For sure. at the time. And this song is just a work of genius. Like, it's so well-timed. As you say, it just it's rousing, and it's exactly as you said. When those pipes kick in, you just your kind of heart swells, and you know, oh, Bonnie Scotland, and oh, it, it yeah, it's just brilliant, and it's it's made all the better by the the video, <laughs> the fact that the squad are in the background and they're all visibly pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Because they've been in the BBC bar because they've had to wait about for a couple of hours. So you can see they're all fucking hammered like as they're swaying around. Yeah, I was I enjoyed Alan, Alan Ruff's recollection of uh, recording the We Have a Dream on Top of the Pops. 
<laughs> talking about how he, he had the most tartan on because he thought he was probably the guy who had the most to drink. <laughs> so, but I think your song is going to take us almost, I suppose, right up to date as far as um, Scotland appearances and in, uh, international tournaments goes. Well, yeah, as far as uh, appearances goes, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take us all the way to France 98 and Don't Come Home Too Soon by Delamitri. And the world may not be shaken yet But you might prove them wrong Even long shots make it Just don't come home too soon Just don't come home too soon I don't care So, this hit 15 in the UK charts. It was number one in the Scottish charts. A tournament to kind of forget. I, I don't know. I've got so many good memories of this tournament. We lost 2-1 to Brazil in the opening game of the tournament. We drew 1-1 with Norway and then we got fucking humped 3-0 against Morocco. This song was written by Justin Curry, lead singer of Delamitri, and the video was filmed at Presswick Airport, which shows members of the bands appearing and members of the football team, including Colin Henry, Darren Jackson, Gordon Judy, Christian Daly, Scott Gemmell, and I'm not gonna, this song is is massively kind of polarizing. I'm not gonna pull any punches. This isn't just my favorite football song of all time. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. Wow. I absolutely fucking love this song. Hot take there. I, I take it you disagree. Uh, no, well, I don't disagree. I, I like the song. I think it's a great song. But I remember at the time, so England had, I think they, I think they had a re-release of Three Lions, and they also had Vindaloo, um, kind of rousing, optimistic songs to get behind for the team. And we had a, should we say, not quite an optimistic song. <laughs> More of a, you know, don't come I, home to I would say this song gives a sense of hope, but not of expectation. Right, okay. No, no, yeah, that's a good point. Got to man- you know, Managing the expectations of the supporters, I guess, is important. But, um, like, you know, I'm with you. It's a fucking, in isolation, it's a brilliant song. It's a cracking song and Delamitri are a, are a great band as a football song I'm not sure mate <laughs> I'm just not sure <laughs> I'll be honest it's not as catchy as Vindaloo or oh come on we have a dream you don't really you can't sing that on the terraces don't come home too soon it's very much a kind of similar vein yeah surely yeah, for, well, for sure I mean yeah I mean that we have a dream is a hard one to sing in the terraces because the verse such as it is, doesn't lend itself particularly well to singing along with thousands of pissed up <laughs> Scottish guys. But, you know, but the chorus does. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the night that I met Delamitri? No. No? No. Oh, okay. Uh, so, it would have been 2003 in Aberdeen, and I went to see Delamitri. They were playing at Lemon Tree that night, and I went to see them. They were great. I can't remember if they played Don't Come Home Too Soon. Not sure. And after the gig, I went out on the night, uh, met a few friends. What, you, what year did did you say it was? 2003. Oh, right, okay. Yep. Uh, so you would have been in Glasgow at yeah, that time. Because yeah, yeah. you definitely weren't there that night. Because I went out and met a few of our mutual friends right. that evening. Uh-huh. And I got a phone call from my, well, the girl I was seeing at the time. Um, I'm sure you'd remember. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And her mum and stepdad were away, so it was just her and her sister were had a free house to themselves, and um, they they were out on the town as well. We'd gone to a different club and she messaged me or called me um, to say that we're going back to mine for a party do you want to come uh, we've got a couple of members of Delamitri with her and I was like what okay yeah sure <laughs> so I jumped in a taxi with a few of my friends we went back to the house and I, I walked into her house and she obviously greeted me and said hello we walked into the lounge and I was so excited to think like oh I'm gonna see two guys that I've literally just seen on stage a few hours ago <laughs> And I walked into the lounge, and here sat there was two guys that I hadn't seen on stage a couple of hours ago. Here were a couple of fucking chancers. <laughs> they had said to my girlfriend, her sister, and her other female friends that they were in Delamitri, and they weren't. Now, as I walked into the room says uh, oh Nicky's a big fan he's just been to see you tonight and one of the guys just looks at me and kind of gives me a little shake of the head like no don't fucking <laughs> land me in it man <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do in that situation I was like oh great oh you guys were amazing tonight <laughs> so good to see you <laughs> and you can see the relief kind of wash over them like oh okay great thank you um yeah and, and that was it. So yeah, that was my meeting with Delamitri, but not Delamitri. I'm sorry, but the lyrics of, and I don't care what people say, they can laugh it all away. But if I have a dream at all, it's that for once, you won't be on that stupid plane. Come on. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. That sums up the Scottish, you know, oh, come on. <laughs> Just don't be on that fucking plane home. I mean, uh, get on the plane home, obviously, but not on that one. Yeah. Get the one in two weeks' time. <laughs> no, it's, and, you know, it's got it's got the line, even long shots make it, which is true. Yeah. And look at Greece. Greece won in 2004. No one expected them to win the Euros. Yeah. Is that 2004? Greece won? Can't remember. Yeah, it was 2004. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, I remember. I watched the final of that in the Foundry. No, the Foundry? No, the Forum in Aberdeen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, it was at a birthday party, yeah. I forgot the Forum. It was a couple of good nights. Oh. A couple of good nights there. No, like, I'm, I'm with you in as much as that it's a brilliant, brilliant song. Um by mm. Delamitri, arguably at the height of their powers uh, in those days. Great song. Just not so sure it's a rousing football anthem. So out of the four, what would be your preferred choice? As a, can I get the get the crowd going? Get the crowd going and personal preference. Let's do that. Okay, well, I think can I get the crowd going? There's a really thin line between Easy Easy and Ali's Army. Very mm. thin line. Um, I think just because it feels a bit more relevant to me, I would have to say Ali's Army. Yeah, yeah I would go with you on that. I think to get the crowd going, yeah, Ali's army, it's a it's a belter of a yeah, tune. Yeah. Like and uh, well done Andy Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder why Andy Cameron never wrote any other songs. <laughs> Perhaps a promising career <laughs> as a pop. Maybe he thought he was too old at 38. <laughs> His dad wouldn't let him. I think in terms of it just being an absolutely amazing song, I think uh, Don't Come Home Too Soon, Just Pips, uh, We Have a Dream. Justin, no more. No, okay. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go with you on that. I will not argue. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give a special mention. So I only, this BBC show mentioned a couple of times, uh, watched today. Now, when Scotland went to Italy in 1990, I was living in England. So I wasn't really exposed to this in 
I'd never heard of this song. I'll be, I'd admit it, I'd never heard of Scotland's 1990 song until today, which is uh, Say With Pride. The other thing that I learned today <laughs> through learning about that song that I had no idea about was that uh, Craig Brown used to be a bit of a chanter back in the 60s when he played in a successful band called Hammy and the Hamsters. <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea about this either until yeah. I watched that programme. Yeah. Um, that song you're talking about, I mean, it was kind of co-written by uh, Donnie Monroe yeah, yeah. And, um, and Fish. Yeah, that's right. But it, it sounds like, when they were playing it, it kind of like the immediate thought I had was like, this sounds like a, a big country song. Yeah, yeah. It sounded the beat and drums and the kind of, it, uh, yeah, it was a great tune though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got a really, really good line in it, uh, which no doubt if uh, if Scotland beat England on the 18th, I'll probably be saying this to a lot of people, uh, the lion <laughs> shall roar in the sun. That's a great line, isn't it? Mm, that's beautiful, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that a lot. Yeah. So, um, it's our football special. You have chosen mm. a football-themed movie for our review today. So why don't you introduce it? So yes, it was my choice this time, Greg. So I picked the produced in 1999, but released in 2002 film, A Shot at Glory, starring Academy Award winner Robert Duvall, Academy Award nominee Michael Keaton, and Ali McCoist. <laughs> It tells the story of Kinlocky FC, a team from a small fishing village. Duval plays Gordon McLeod, the team manager, and McCoist stars as Jackie McQuillan, a star striker and legendary ex-Celtic player. He is married, uh, although estranged, from McLeod's daughter, uh, and then the two try to lead the team to Scottish Cup glory and prevent the American owner, played by Michael Keaton, to... Uh, move the team to Dublin. Uh, it was filmed at Boghead Park, a glamorous location in Dumbarton. Uh, Palmerston Park, uh, which is Queen South's ground, Rugby Park, which is Kilmarnock's ground, and at Hampden Park. And yeah, it, it's an incredible film. Uh, Greg, you'd mentioned you, you hadn't seen this before. So what were your first thoughts on A Shot at Glory? Well, <laughs> but first, you know, we've just spent a bit of time talking there about um, about Scottish uh, football songs and like Scotland players getting on the stage with guys like Majure, uh, Rod Stewart. You know, maybe Justin. I know they, I know they didn't share the stage with Justin Curry, but they were shared a video with Justin Curry. Um, the Crankies. <laughs> this movie, it's almost a bit like one of those songs if you think about the cast: Robert Duvall <laughs> and Ali McCoist. It's just. <laughs> It's just, you know, because, I mean, I'll be honest with you, right? I was sort of dreading watching it. Not because I thought it wasn't going to be a good film. It was just the fact that Ali McCoist is acting. Ali McCoist is acting with Robert Duvall. <laughs> and I'll be completely honest. I thought Ali McCoist wasn't bad. He was good. <laughs> yeah, he's good. <laughs> I mean, he was, this was kind of a passion project for Robert Duvall. He wanted to make a film about sport. And effectively, it was on the back of uh, Any Given Sunday. He thought that was a terrible film about the representation of American football. Right. So he wanted to make a soccer film. But for some reason, he wanted to set it in Scotland. <laughs> and originally, Russell Crowe was meant to be the main character. Right. In the film. Right. And But then they had to kind of... <laughs> 
I think, realign. And I think uh, Robert Carlyle at one point was kind of going to be given the role of... It was going to be Gordon McLeod. It was going to be Robert Duvall. No, it was going to be Jackie Jackie McQuillan. Right. Okay. <laughs> Robert Carlyle, Russell Crowe or Robert Carlyle was going to be Jackie McQuillan. Right. And then they met Ali McCoist, and Duval said that he had a quality like Olivier. He was just yeah, I know. <laughs> He had an Olivier quality about him, and he was just compelled to cast him in this role. And that's how Ali McCoist got the role in this film. And I'll be honest, I agree. McCoist's great. It's not, it's, I mean, he's really not. I mean, there's a couple of scenes that he's maybe a wee bit wobbly in. I didn't need to see Ali McCoist do a sex scene. And... Uh, <laughs> Thankfully, it wasn't it wasn't a particularly graphic one. It's just more the, the the sort of last few seconds. And apparently, Robert Duvall revealed that when he saw Ali McCoy's performing a sex scene in front of his wife, McCoy's wife, not Robert Duvall's wife. Apparently, that's when he knew that Ali McCoy's could act. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> So any any aspiring actors, if you want to impress Robert Duvall, just kid on that you're shagging. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, but I think the scene that he is actually, and I mean this sincerely, the scene that I think he's actually very, very, very good in is the scene when he's doing penalties with his wee boy in the back garden. Yeah, and he's descri- yeah. he's describing the feeling of stepping up to take a penalty in front of thousands and thousands of fans. I actually I thought he was really, really good in that scene. To be fair, Tally, I really did. Um, it's just, but it's still, it's Ali McCoyst acting in a film, <laughs> Robert Duvall. That will never not be just surreal. <laughs> you know, I just can't, I can't come to terms with it, Nicky. <laughs> so it kind of sets it up. You have the, the, the kind of team. I mean, it starts off with this Andy Gray, not Swally culture smiley, favourite Andy Gray. Yeah. The other Andy Gray doing a kind of overview of Scottish football, but very much just speaking about Celtic and Rangers. What is it? The forces of darkness and evil. Yeah. As he describes it. Yeah. And then we get to Michael Keaton and Robert Duvall kind of sitting in the boardroom and discussing about signing this new player. And you're like, right, I'm watching Michael Keaton mm-hmm. and Robert Duvall. And then the next actor you see is Ali McCoist. <laughs> this is this is bizarre. <laughs> It's incredible. I mean, it is. I mean, now, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that Robert Duvall's Scottish accent is necessarily terrible. It, there are, it is. There are, it's terrible. I've, <laughs> I've heard a lot worse. Maybe I'm just, anyway, I mean, Robert Duvall, arguably one of the greatest living actors, right, of all time. Greatest living actors yeah. of all time, right, arguably. He's, he's 89 years old. He's appeared in films like The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, to name two. Just speak classics of cinema and I've heard like a lot worse Scottish accents from uh, American actors buying a team is different than running a team now how do you think the lads are going to feel bringing in a player who makes more than all of them combined it's not so much his accent because I think that there, there are some lines that he does a pretty decent accent I, w- I was quite surprised to read that he based his performance on John McVeigh <laughs> John McVeigh who he was at Wraith's 
Wraith Rovers at the time and there was a bit of, there was a bit of controversy about him because apparently he was just fucking horrendous to the younger players on the squad <laughs> like like beyond bullying so you know when you think of all the great Scottish football managers that there have been over the years like uh, Matt Busby Bill Shankly Jock Steen Alex Ferguson I wonder why he chose to base his performance on John McVeigh. it's like <laughs> it was almost half his age you know what I mean but it's it's more like there's you know this you know towards the end of the film when they're playing Rangers and um, McCoist gets injured and uh, Brian Cox playing the Rangers manager sort of it implicates that McCoist has taken it or sorry McQuillan like you see he's just he's got, it's really hard to call him McQuillan when it's Ali McCoist it's just taken for it for the dive. purposes for the purposes of this episode we're just going to call him McCoist okay okay thank you like let's let's forget McQuillan yeah. for the purposes of this episode it's Ali McCoist and Robert Duvall yeah so the, a, a hard film was put in on on McCoist and everyone's booing and shouting for the Rangers player to be sent off and uh, Robert Duvall's character starts like mouthing off at Brian Cox and the linesman comes over and sort of tells him to get back in and he, he, he does this weird thing instead of going okay he goes he kind of goes like that. Like, do you remember <laughs> and I'm like what are you doing what are you doing that for um so yeah, I mean, it's just I mean, like, this movie. I'm going to say this many times before we finish recording this. It's surreal for a number of reasons. The fact that Robert Duvall would want to make a film about British football and set it in Scotland, play the lead and play him Scottish is just. I mean, I just don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand because Duvall's so, got he's got a producer's credit on the film, isn't he? Oh yeah, he was heavily involved in the production of this film like he was the one that kind of brought it uh, to the fore mm. and obviously Ali McCoist is a Rangers RIP legend and the reason because it's it's quite jarring that he is portraying a an ex-Celtic legend yeah. in this film yeah. and the reason for that is because the original script I think did have him as a Ranger ex-Rangers player and they were going to play Celtic in the final right. and he said he couldn't stand to be in a film that had Celtic win a cup <laughs> in the final even if it was fictional so they had to switch it he would rather be known as an ex-Celtic player than see Celtic win a fictional trophy in a film so that's why they switched it and that's why it, it's so bad though like when you see the clips of him in scoring goals and he's obviously wearing a Rangers jersey but they've done kind of the yeah. I, I don't know CGI to make it green but it's not even Celtic green yeah it's like a it's like a dark it's like a Republic of Ireland kind of green yeah. and you kind of see him scoring these goals and yeah it, it's done terribly but that's the reason why he is an ex-Celtic legend apparently in the film I mean, I was, I'm just looking at my notes there that I was making as I was watching the film. Anyway, I'm not going to be unkind about Ali McCoist in this because, like we said before, considering that he's got no acting experience, he does pretty well. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. But the the note, the note that I made was McCoist's entrance, you know, when he's driving to the 
to the ground for training. I've written McCoy Centrance yeah. thinks he's arrived. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? When they're filming him and he's looking a bit flash and he's, is that a Jag? I think it's a Jag, right? Convertible Jag you were just driving? Yeah, Jag, jag yeah. Um, I just put, yeah, he, th- he, th- he thinks he's arrived. <laughs> the first of many acting gigs for Super Alley. <laughs> but that's it. He's driving his Jag. He's looking good. He's thinking he's, you know, kind of the man driving the Kalnocki. And then he meets the the old woman and she for me is fantastic as he nearly knocks it over and kind of swerves and you know and drives off and she lets some expletives out at him where the hell do you think you are fucking nutter and yeah then he turns up to the training ground late and it, yeah there's a animosity already by him and duval but you don't quite know why yet. And then they fucking shoehorn in this scene about you know, Duval's wife and daughter. And, you know, it's a fucking exposition as to why, oh, well, Jackie's, yeah, oh, well, we've got a kid. And, yeah, oh, we're, no, we're seeing each other again. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's bizarre the way they shoehorn that in. Yeah. Like, I, why do they do that? Yeah, it's strange. It's it's a wee bit like the, the sort of newsreel at the start, all about... Celtic and Rangers, you know what I mean? That very with that with a with a bit of narration and things. And it's like, well, it does. I mean, none of that really has any impact on the on the movie. Like, there's there's also the sort of the kind of storyline that they don't really. Um, I don't know. They don't. I don't think they really go to any lengths to elaborate on it for people who maybe aren't familiar with that west of Scotland Catholic Protestant thing mm. you know where it's inferred that the reason that he's fallen out with his daughter is because she's married a, a Catholic I suppose McCoy's is supposed to be Catholic because he played at um, Celtic and she's supposed and uh, Robert Duval's meant to be a Protestant and it's like well could you not just I mean I don't think that this I don't think the story really needs to have that in there like maybe he's just fallen out with her because he didn't want her to marry Ali McCoy's in the first place you know what I mean that, that that would have done, you know, and they've never really repaired their relationship. I don't know why they have to have this sort of religious undertone to it because it doesn't make any difference. And you know, and if they, if they try to mark, I mean, they obviously thought they would be able to market this film worldwide because it's got Robert Duvall and uh, Michael Keaton in it, and of course Sally McCoy. It's just would never would, would never not sound strange, you know. Like if a audience in North America is unlikely to know anything about this weird religious divide that existed and still exists to a lesser extent in in, in Glasgow go in the west of Scotland. You know what I mean? It just seems pointless. Yeah, I did think they kind of tried to shoehorn that kind of Catholic-Protestant divide in there. Yeah. And speaking about performance, uh, this film, it was like a nine million budget overall. And in the US box office, it made a startling $133,122. So, arguably not a box office success. No, it wasn't a box office success at all. Not in the slightest. It, it, it wasn't well received, and I don't think it was well favoured in the UK either. Mm-hmm. And I think generally reviews are quite bad about it. You know what? I fucking love this film. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I really enjoyed watching it and I know the acting is a bit hammy and a bit bad but there's some great moments and there's some great characters the even the the guy that's like shouting at the goalkeepers yeah. behind the stands yeah. he's brilliant he's probably the hero of the film like, <laughs> he's fantastic hey Deepy hey Deepy is that your wife cleaning the bogs up behind the terraces 
because there's a big queue of guys up there and they're all smiling like fucking Coco and the Clown. Some of the, the scenes, and you know what? It's a football film. Yeah. But the way some of the football is shot isn't cinematic, if you know what I mean. It's realistic. Like, yeah. There's not a lot of yeah. It's realistic. There's not a lot of kind of you know like slow motion as he's going for a header. Yeah, and he nods it in. It it's filmed like it is almost a football match, and yeah. that's what I liked about it. It's kind of it. It's not over the top dramatic. Yeah, I mean, I think a good example of that. I mean, they most of the maybe not most, but most of the Kalnaki team are professional footballers in real life, and uh, Ali McCoy's not the only footballer to be making his acting debut you in this film but you, you there's guys in there like Owen Coyle there's Kenny Black Andy Smith but they've got Cole Hauser Goodwill Hunting's Cole Hauser playing yeah. uh, Kelsey the goalkeeper and you know like, there's the there's the scene near the beginning when they're training when he's in goals and he makes he makes some fucking good saves and then <laughs> when you, he does and then when you see him when they play him in the last the sort the, the the later part of the film when he starts when he gets onto the first team yeah you know, he, he 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 doesn't look like an actor trying to act like he's playing football among professional mm. footballers you know what I mean like he makes a couple of kind of punch saves and things you know he obviously they he fluffs that goal kick but that was at the beginning that's uh, part of the script obviously but yeah I mean like you're right it, the, the football is really really well done it seems really yeah. really true to life I, and I think it's because they filmed it in front of live crowds and I know the semi-final they play against Kilmarnock for example that was actually filmed at Rugby Park mm. and Kilmarnock actually produced tickets and they produced programmes and there was a huge crowd there and they, they filmed it properly and okay they had to do a lot of retakes in fact there was um, it's the scene where McCoyst Jackie McCullen but we'll just say McCoyst um, <laughs> scores his overhead kick and the director kind of laid it out and said okay Owen Coyle you're, you're gonna put in this cross and then McCoyst's gonna hit this overhead kick and it's gonna be a spectacular Goal. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay. And McCoyst and Coyle spoke about it. And this is fucking impossible. Like, it, it's a one in a million kind of chance of this happening. Like, we'll try it. Anyway, first time they did it. <laughs> right? Beautiful. Cross comes in, overhead kick, like, beautiful overhead kick in the back of the net. And then they run off to celebrate as they were meant to do in the film, but also because they were just so delighted. Like, we've fucking done it. Yeah. And the director's like, that was fantastic. Right. Let's do another shot. <laughs> and the guy's like, are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do another shot. Let's try that again. I, like, are you taking a piss? Like, I, they had to do it again, like under six, seven times to try and get the perfect shot. But yeah, the football is so well done in yeah. this. It, it really is. You get the sense of kind of, and even when they're playing like the, the little games that can lock a, you mm-hmm. get the kind of feeling of the lower league football. It, it It's wonderful the way they've done that. I mean, on, on that, the director, though, asking for multiple takes of an overhead kick, it's taken a wee bit of a risk because overhead kicks can go wrong. You know what I mean? Like, McCoy's lands, yeah. lands awkwardly. Could, like, they could, like, crack his collarbone or fucking knock himself out or <laughs> anything. You know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, it's, like, McCoy's obviously the second lead in the film after Robert Duvall. You know, they're taking taking a bit of a risk there. How many how many days do you think they got Michael Keaton for to shoot? Oh, I don't know. I mean, he's not in it a lot, though, is exactly. he? Nah, not really. That's the thing. He's not in it a huge amount. The time he's in it, he's very good. Like, 
Ah, come on, Michael Keaton, he's amazing. Did you spot the one of the guys from Ireland that's interested in taking the team to Dublin? Did you spot a Scottish legend there next to him? Take the high roads, Davy Sneddon. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah. I didn't notice that. No. Oh wow. I only noticed that. I, only I didn't noticed, notice him all. I only noticed in the very last shot of them when he tells them that he's not selling them the team after all. He's keeping the team in uh, in Kilnocky. And I was like, fuck me, there's Davy Sneddon. I've not seen that face for years. <laughs> I had not noticed that. I'm going to have to go back and re-watch that uh, and see if I can see Davy Snedden. Did we find out why it took a few years for this movie to get into the cinema. I guess they were they struggled to find a distributor. Yeah, I think it was that was the exact case. I think it just took a while to gain traction and a bit of a, a distribution issue because, yeah, it was filmed like two years before. I mean, McCoyce was still playing for Kilmarnock at yeah, the time yeah. when this was filmed, which makes it all the stranger uh-huh. that he was kind of still playing in the SPL and then filming this. But, yeah, I don't know why it took so long. He's supposed to look like he's you know he's got I think the if I remember right the kind of backstory is he's been a very successful uh, player at um, Celtic he's gone to Arsenal in England that's not quite been a success story there he's got a reputation for being a bit of a boozer and a shagger and evidently a gambler we see him putting his bets on in the uh, on the phone when he's driving um, his, his convertible jag around Fife but I mean he'll be, he, you know he looks and he looks like he's in pretty good shape uh, which I guess he would, he would, he would be if you know, if he's, I know it's Kilmarnock, but you know, he's still got to turn up. He's still got to do the work. You know, for someone who's supposed to be kind of out of shape and the fag end of it and sort of down on his luck as a professional player, he looks, uh, he looks in pretty good nick. <laughs> yeah, he does. And I wonder, as you say, like he ex-Celtic and a legend, he's gone down the road to Arsenal spent two years there, come back up. Why is he coming from Arsenal to a fucking second division Scottish team? <laughs> like, it, surely he could get a gig at Kilmarnock or Hibs or Motherwell or... Is it not that, is it not that these clubs won't touch him because he's unreliable and a pisshead and... All that kind of thing, maybe I don't know. Possibly, but then I think you would—you'd have one of those clubs would still take a gamble on him, surely. Yeah, maybe. I mean, Hibs took a gamble on uh, George Best in the seventies, and you know when you mm. see when you see George Best playing for Hibs, he was probably in his early thirties, but he looks like he's in his fucking early forties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he just doesn't look in great shape. So I think we need to talk about the um, the fish representation in this film. So obviously, it's a fishing town and you have the pub which is called the leaping salmon Mm -hmm. and then you have uh, a guy dressed up as a fish in the stands quite a lot and then he makes it onto the open top bus to celebrate their semi-final victory i mean i I wondered if it was a bit of a nod to the um the penguin in gregory's girl you know you see the penguin could be yeah shuffling around in the background of some scenes all right i mean i'm not sure it's it's a nice touch i mean that that's one of the things that i liked about the movie is that you know like some of those little scottish eccentricities are uh are well portrayed like the fish right we never we never find out who's in the fish costume when <laughs> yeah, something true. when something goes wrong on the pitch you know if they they're scored against or someone gets 
fouled or whatever the the fish covers his eyes with his fins <laughs> you know what i mean i like that and i i, I like the two um the, the two fans where one of them just spends the whole game with his back to the crowd um you know just these little eccentricities i always always enjoy them see i hated that i couldn't work out what <laughs> the hell was going on with these two fans like initially i was like okay so is one of them blind oh no it's just that he he can't look because he's too scared but yeah it sort of comes round by by the time they're playing Rangers which is obviously meant to be like the most important game in the history of the club and yeah he doesn't seem to have any problem watching the game <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> it's weird so um Robert Duval evidently a great football manager yeah. He's a bit of a dick in his home life, isn't he? Like, yeah. the way he treats his wife, like, it's really bad. And his daughter as well. I mean, how is he? What does he, what does he say to his wife? How is he, I thought he was all right with his wife. It's the dinner scene that kind of irks me. Right. Like, in terms of, it's the Scottish Cup draw, and he's not even watching it. And they get the phone call, and he's having dinner, and then he just kind of comes back, and he's like nonchalant and mm. Dumbarton. It'll be good. I think he's a bit off with his wife, and even more so with his daughter, of course. That yeah. was my viewing of it. No, I mean, I, I didn't feel that he was off with his wife. I mean, I mean, the fact that they sleep in separate beds suggests that maybe he's, yeah. he's fucked it with her at some point. You know, he's made a, he's made a cunt of his marriage at some at some point. I mean, what I liked, with, he is a bit of a dick. You know, I thought it was a wee bit unfair. Although it's a bit weird how Ali McCoy, they're training in the barn with running on the sands. Ali McCoy is packed parked his car in the barn <laughs> and then his his phone goes off and so uh, Gordon punishes the whole team because Ali's phone's gone off in his car and you're like I know what a dick I mean yeah. his phone's gone off in his car it's not as if he was it's, on it and, yeah exactly and it's not as if he rushed to answer it is it no so, well he didn't get a chance to because yeah. Gordon went and picked it up but I would agree and there was also the scene of him when he's greeting the opposition teams as they come off the bus I'm not sure. I just thought, but, you know, he's given them but, a bit but, of banter. But, but, intimidation. Yes, intimidation. I like that. I, I liked it. It was quite good, but uh, I didn't think it was very realistic. Uh, it's not going to happen. You're not going to see Eb Scovedal <laughs> greeting players off the opposition bus. But, no, but I mean, when you think about some of these sort of uh, kind of legendary, maybe slightly eccentric football managers, guys like kind of, kind of Brian Clough, you can imagine like a guy like Brian Clough meeting the... Yeah, actually, you're right. Fair point. Meet, meeting the players off the bus, ostensibly to welcome them to the to the home ground, but then maybe just kind of as he's shaking their hands, maybe giving them a wee bit of a, you're getting your fucking legs broken today, son, by Dave Mackay or something like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe not Dave Mackay, but because I don't think he, he was at Leeds, wasn't he, with Brian Clough? I don't know. What did you think of the daughter, Katie, in terms of her relationship? Why didn't she just tell Jackie where to go? She's obviously too good for it. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, if you wanted to maybe have the charitable assumption, you might say, well, because of the wee boy and, you know, kind of keeping the family together if possible, if he's if, uh, if Jackie's sorting himself out and whatnot. But I, I don't think it's a particularly well-written part, to be honest. I think, you know, I think she's good and she's very pretty but uh, yeah I'm not sure it's uh, particularly well written I, th- I, th- I think she does the best with what she's uh, with what she's got you know you know she's, this is like a, a sort of earliest role for Kirsty Mitchell um, she's still, still quite a young actress at the time she's not really kind of pulled up too many trees as she's kind of gone on but um, yeah it's a bit weird I mean I guess they, I guess it had to be there to maybe give a wee bit more 
depth to Ali McCoy's character and and Robert Duvall's. But I don't know. What did you think? Um, I thought she was okay. In the film, I think you kind of go between a scene that is brilliant and a scene that is terrible, but also quite brilliant. The the scene with the cup final, and she comes to Jackie's hotel room. And of course, you've seen before that there's another woman that has gone to the room. And yeah. well, you think she's gone into the room. Yeah. And of course, you're expecting, oh no, she's about to rumble Jackie and she's oh. in the bathroom. And McCoyst is all relaxed in his robe. And oh, she's not there. And thankfully, she's obviously turned, been turned away. That was quite funny and clever. But then you've got these two Rangers fans that are literally roaming around the hotel. Yeah. And it's quite a, a bit of a rapey vibe. Yeah, it's kind of sinister, yeah, isn't it? sinister yeah. when they're chasing. And for goodness sake, guys, like it's a football match. And they throw the bottle at McCoyst and he legs it up the stairs and starts beating the shit out of them. <laughs> yeah. Fair play, good on him, but he really leathers them. Do you think that somebody was trying to start this sort of Peter McDougall universe where Jackie McQuillan is the son of just a boy game's Jake McQuillan? And uh, you know what I mean? He's like maybe the lost son of Jake McQuillan or something like that. Yeah, possibly. He, he really goes at them. And as he's hammering into them, I can't remember the exact line, but he kind of says, you know, People die over stuff like this, and yeah. Yeah. It, it really just leathers into them. What about the scene where, when uh, Ian McCall fouls him, and then um, later on, and Super Ali gives him a fucking sore face and gets sent off when they're playing Queen of the South? Oh, <laughs> that was brilliant. That's a great scene, and a great punch in the face. Obviously, they would have played together at Rangers. Ian McCall was at Rangers, if I remember right, kind of mid to late 80s but I, I don't think he was playing I don't think Ian McCall was still playing when he filmed this I, I'm sure he was managing teams by this by that point I think he just finished yeah yeah, I know he, yeah. but that see the the anticipation of that Queen of the South game is kind of weird oh the last time they came they brought 8,000 fans like Queen of the South really <laughs> 8,000 fans that's what I don't understand like oh we have to move to Dublin yeah really but why it doesn't make sense can Lockie seem to be able to fill half a Hamden and they always seem to have a big attendance at their <laughs> games, but you're made to believe they're a small second division fishing village, like probably like Arbroath or something. Maybe yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. But why? They evidently fill a lot of the stadium and a lot of Hamden. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I don't quite understand why it's such a big thing and Keaton is very much, you know, <laughs> oh, we need a bigger stadium. Well, that's going to take about five years to build. Yeah. But you want to move to Dublin as well. Uh, five years, or if it's or if it's Aberdeen, like twenty years to agree on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's not go there. Maybe another twenty years to build it. You know. <clears throat> so to come down to the final, because they get to the cup final, obviously. Spoiler alerts. And we messaged about this, but I didn't spoil it for you. How were surprised were you to see who the Rangers manager was? I was kind of partly surprised, but partly unsurprised as well for some reason. I'm not, I'm not sure why. Yeah, I got to be honest, when when Brian Cox, got, I know he's not got an awful lot of screen time in the film compared to the other players, but um, his scenes elevate the film a bit. You know what I mean? Obviously, he's playing Martin Smith, uh, obviously the Rangers at the time, managed by Walter Smith. But yeah, his, you know, his, you know, when he's given the, the Rangers team the kind of pre-game talk, 
and everything, and then the halftime bollocking and the the sort of the kind of he sort of makes up with Robert Duvall after the game, and he's he's very gracious in victory and all that. I mean, I, I put in my notes when um, again when when he came on, Cox chewing the scenery. <laughs> he came on. It's just it's it's just such a good he's such a fucking good actor, Brian Cox. He just elevates the whole movie. Right, like the last sort of twenty five minutes or so, which is probably he's in the most. We see wee bits of him on the TV and stuff earlier on, but um, yeah, just fucking really, really good. Such such a good actor, Brian Cox. He really is. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, and it's the little bits that when he sat up in the stands at the final, and then yeah. he just launches into, "I'm coming down, I'm coming down." <laughs> yeah. I know he's playing. I can see he's playing. I've got eyes. He's the only player they've got. I'm coming down. I'm coming down. The delivery of that is just phenomenal. And yeah. you really just believe that he's a he's an arsehole, but he's so good in the role. And the delivery of some of his speeches, he's just fantastic. He just gives off this vibe and energy. I had to laugh when they were when they were talking about the Rangers payroll, you know, with Andy Gray commentary and like, you know, you've got the Rangers payroll there, the Rangers like, a combined two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. I'm like, fuck me. I mean, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, really? I'm sure it's been more than that in the late nineties. Well, I guess that depends what you believe. Uh, yeah. with the EBT scheme, because I'm sure they were shifting a a bit of cash away from the tax. <laughs> but anyway, we won't go on to that. To speak about Andy Gray. I thought he was really good in some parts, but I'd say when he was commentating on games, it felt like I was playing FIFA. Yeah, yeah. He didn't sound like he did naturally when he commentates on games, and I guess it's difficult to replicate that when you're actually commentating, but it sounded like he was reading from a script, and he was, you know, commentating on FIFA. This is what I was going to ask you, right? Because I'm, you know, I, I enjoy football, but I, I'm not as serious about it as, as you are. I know Andy Gray's obviously a pundit, but has he been a commentator in that sense? I know he, he has. Is he? Okay. Because I didn't... I th- I thought he didn't sound particularly natural in the commentary either. I kind of put it down to the fact that I couldn't I couldn't really remember him sort of commentating. No, he was a commentator. Know? I think for Sky Sports for a while, and right. then before the scandal and everything. Yeah. But yeah, he was a commentator for Sky. Right. Okay. And that's why he's one of the commentators on on FIFA because he was a commentator. But just doesn't sound natural to me when he's commentating on the games in this film. It's one of uh, Duval's lines when he's he's sort of giving the the Kilnocky team a bit of a pep talk at training early in the movie, and he says, "You give me the heart, and I'll give you the lungs." Huh? <laughs> <I'm like>, eh? <laughs> I actually <laughs> wrote down for that. Is he giving us a recipe for haggis? <laughs> there's another. There's another scene when uh, it's when he goes to see Michael Keaton at I guess Michael Keaton's country house, and Michael Keaton basically shows him what a PC can do. Yeah, look at this. Now, now we can check our scores. And I'm thinking, well, we should not check your score when you're at the fucking game. Why you could just sit at home and wait for it to pop up on your computer? You know? I put that down as well. It's wonderful that he's just, oh, yeah, man, you just lost. Yeah, uh, right, okay, this is Michael Keaton introducing Robert Duvall to the internet. Another note that I made was um, Hugh Dallas and Robert Duvall together <laughs> at last. Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was, I'm sure this would be true of a lot of people involved in this movie, but I'm sure that when they all set out on their footballing careers, be it player, pundit, or evidently referee, they never in their wildest dreams thought that they would be in a film with Robert Duvall and Michael Keaton. Um, I did wonder, there's a scene quite early on, and I did note down, what on earth is he doing? Because McCoy's just sat in the pub, and he's got his newspaper in front of him, and he's got a pencil, and he's writing stuff down. And I thought, well, he's not doing the crossword, is he? So what is he doing? Is he doing the pools? Well, that probably is it, because later on, when he's on the phone to the bookies, and he's saying, I want 50 quid on the Rangers, 50 quid on Hearts, and 50 quid on Trap 5, <laughs> I thought, ah, okay, he's obviously on the racing pages, and picking... What he's thinking, he's <laughs> yeah. going to put his bet on. Yeah, that's a bit of an awkward scene. That you know, that's like you know, they, I think that's an example of McCoy's you know, not doing such a good job. And to be honest, uh, Cole Hauser doesn't do a very good job in that scene either. I mean, obviously, I remember yeah. him from uh, playing one of um, one of the kind of gang, uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's gang in in Goodwill Hunting. And he's, you know, he's, that character he plays has got a bit of swagger. He's, you know what I mean? He's, he, he seems like he's quite a confident actor in that movie, which isn't that long before. And maybe it was probably shot around about the same time as um, as this, maybe, maybe like a year before. But like in that scene, I mean, it's the only real scene, apart from when he's um, talking to Robert Duvall about being nervous, being in goals at um, Hamden. It's the only scene that he really gets to sort of flex his acting muscles Cole Hauser when he's talking to Alan McCoy and it's fucking not really it's really not very good I thought you know what I mean I mean I don't even recognise him as Cole Hauser it wasn't until I looked him up after the film I thought he was like I thought he was another player that I didn't recognise that had given some lines until I did my research <clears throat> so to talk about the ending of the film now I was watching it and writing my notes and it comes to the big climax Scottish Cup final the Rangers against Kinlocky FC and ends 1-1 We'll just skip over extra time. Yeah, don't no, worry about not that. needed. Yeah. They do mention it in the penalty shootout that there was no goals in extra time, but we don't need to see that. So it comes to the shootout, <laughs> and I can see exactly where this is going. So I've already written in my notes as I'm watching it. I know what's going to happen. It's going to go to four four. Then mm-hmm. Cole Hauser is going to save their penalty, yeah. and then McCoy is going to score the winner, and that's yeah. that's the shot at glory. So I'd already written mm-hmm. that down in my notes ahead of the time and then when i'm watching it of course it's not what happens and oh it's brilliant i loved the ending of this film the fact they you? don't win i thought it was great <laughs> i was really bummed out by the end oh no so well, I, I really wanted them to i, I wanted them to win you know oh, what i mean i wanted it wanted... no. one of my favorite films of all time is rocky and i think yeah. uh-huh I mean, I, I love Rocky. Yeah. And one of the main reasons I adore that film so much, apart from the fact it's a great story, it's well acted, it's it's a nice heartwarming yeah. tale in a way. But in the end, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Rocky, <laughs> he loses. And that's why I like it, because it's realistic. But he gave it his all. He, he loses, but he's given everything. And I think that's why I like the ending of A Shot of Glory, because they lose. You know, I thought it was a shame that McCoy missed the last penalty, but 
it made sense, I suppose. I think, though, like, with Rocky, technically, Rocky loses the match. He, but he, he loses the fight. But he still sort of wins because he's gone further in the fight than anyone's expected him to. He's given Apollo, like, the fight of his life, arguably. You know, and it, it's sort of, that's sort of uh, confirmed at the beginning of Rocky 2 when Sylvester Sloan goes and asks him if he gave him his best and he reluctantly said, yeah, I did, and stuff. So, so Rocky still sort of wins because he's the under dog, he's done really well, he's gone the full distance with the heavyweight champion of the world, supposed to be one of the greatest boxers of all time. But, and you know, it's probably just, I think it's just the fact that it's not a great script and that you don't really, well, personally, I didn't really feel that. And maybe it's because it's not just, when it's a football team, it's not just one man. You know what I mean? It's a whole team that have kind of failed at the end and it's, you know, is it, is, you know, Kelsey's failed to make that second save. Adam McCoy's has failed to score his goal. And, you know, they sort of like, you know, they, they have, um, Martin Smith can I say which is a good line and again brilliantly delivered by Brian Cox you know it's it, it's something like it's not a real victory if it's on penalty kicks and they shake hands and all that kind of thing but I just I just I don't know I just really wanted the team to and the thing is as well for the fans because <laughs> you, you sort of become quite fond of some of the, the fans you know what I mean like I thought they don't have any lines but it's the same faces in the crowd for every game there's the woman that appears in Sunshine on Leith as one of Jane Horrocks his uh, colleagues in the museum uh, she she's there I, I didn't I didn't I should have gone and found out what her name was but I'm ashamed to say it I just didn't so I think you know, for the for the fans you're like ah, you know I mean because we're supposed to think up until this point that if they don't beat Rangers Michael Keaton's going to sell them to Dublin you know so there's a lot at stake and then you know they, they put that wee bit in when he says oh I'm not going to sell them listen to those fans or whatever or, you, you won't get support like this anywhere else in the world I think that's what he says I just I was just bummed I just wanted them to win do you know what I mean I was like come on fucking I felt sorry for Gordon McLeod because he said he's never really won anything in his long career as a foot, as a manager and as a goalkeeper before. Wanted a bit of redemption for Ali uh, after me kind of sort of cunting it up quite a lot in other parts of the film. He's wee boys there, you know, fucking imagine having, I mean, what sort of sadist writes a script where a striker misses a crucial penalty in front of his son who's in the, who's in the uh, stands, you know what I mean? That's... <laughs> I wanted to come away from it feeling like good and affirmed and feeling like I could do anything. It just makes me think, well... Yeah, but then Keaton doesn't move the team and... I mean, that's another thing that I thought was maybe a little bit odd. It was kind of shoehorned in that, yeah, we're going to move to Dublin. Was there a need for that storyline, really? It it just seemed a bit strange the way that it was all kind of... Ab- yeah. You know, went about it. And all of a sudden, he just changes his mind. Because... Uh, he put down. That's mm. why it has to happen. You have to beat the Rangers. It would be more believable if he'd said, look, the club is costing me fucking thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds a week because you've only there's only about 100 supporters for the whole club. I've got all these players' wages to pay. I've got your wages to pay. If you don't beat Rangers and get us some investment, then I'm going to declare bankruptcy and the club's fucked. <laughs> have you seen how many fans they had at Hamden? And how many fans they, they have at the semi-final against Kilmarnock? There's loads of them. And the home game <laughs> seemed to be quite full enough, but yet they're worried about 8,000 Queen of the South fans. Yeah. And it's true what you said. He should have said, if we don't get more fans, then 
we're screwed. Yeah. They've evidently got the fan base. There's two questions that I think the film singularly fails to answer. The first one is, how did those fans, from the end of the game to the beginning of the party that they hold in the church hall or whatever to celebrate getting promoted to Division 1, have time to make a living burgundy blazers? <laughs> oh, yeah. And the second one is, what happened to Diego? Oh, I know. He just disappears. Just, just runs off. Just disappeared never heard of, never heard from again turns up to train in his jeans or something like that and then just like fucks off it's just too cold <laughs> well my question would be they lose Ali McCoist after he punches Ian McCall in the face mm-hmm. yeah but yeah they go on an amazing run they beat Wraith Rovers 6-2 yes, they beat right. some other team I think like 4-1 they go on this great run who's scoring all the goals because it's not Ali McCoist you know, they've got qualification to the first division. Why do they need Coist? <laughs> yeah. They're doing pretty well without him. He'll be the most expensive player on the books, probably. You know, I mean, I was surprised by this film. I'll be honest. I, d- I didn't expect to enjoy it. I won't say it. This is the last time I'll say it. Robert Duvall, Peter, uh, Michael Keaton and Ali McCoist, the top three build in a film. It shouldn't work. Somehow it works 90% of the time <laughs> through the film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. I thought, where to think the film's at its strongest, and you mentioned it earlier, is that it's in its depiction of football, uh, you know, as it's played as it's played on the pitch, training, some of the banter is very good in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I mean I would definitely I would probably watch it again, to be honest. I feel like I've, there's probably little bits that I might not have picked up on that I would probably pick up on on a second viewing or a third viewing. So yeah, so is it your favourite ever football film? You know something? I think it probably is, yeah. I think it is my favourite football film. Maybe we're due a good football film, I think. I think we're due a, like, a new one. If you think about it, I mean, there's a, I suppose when, you come, when it comes to the premiership, in terms of, kind of sort of depicting that, there was the old, uh, what was it, on Channel 3, Footballers' Wives, uh, with Gary Lucy and uh, Kathy off EastEnders, and a few others sort of depicting the lives of these like rich talented young men you also had dream team on sky oh i never watched dream team i remember i remember it i never watched it um that was a bit more a bit that was a sort of a bit it wasn't as uh risky as footballers wives i don't think was it it was it was on a bit earlier yeah it was basically more like hollyoaks ah so shall we put uh, a shot at glory through our swally awards Yes, let's go through the awards. What have we up first? So for my Scottish moment, I just had like the sort of ban- the sort of like gallows banter, particularly after um, the first goal goes in in the first game that we see, and uh, I forget the actor's name, but when when the when the team are being admonished by Gordon in the dressing room and he says I'm sorry Gaffer I should have kept my I should have kept my legs closed and uh, Gordon McLeod says yeah your mother should have kept her fucking legs closed <laughs> <laughs> I like that just that sort of that that banter I, I, that was my that was my sort of Scottish moment moments what did you have I gave it to you one of my favorite moments of the film and it's when Robert Duval comes to Ali McCoy's hotel room on the night of the cup final and McCoy's watching the build-up. The news, the, yeah. the build-up, yeah, yeah. And Duval walks in and McCoy says to him, does that no gee you the book? <laughs> yeah. And Duval replies, yeah, it gives me the book. <laughs> I, I love that. That was what went down as my most Scottish moment, the word book. Apart from that, it's probably the use of bagpipes in every football match. I don't think I've ever seen... I've been to maybe four cup finals in my life and bagpipes probably get played there, but 
bagpipes don't get played at every game, especially not a second division game. Uh, okay, uh, what did you have for the Jake McQuillan, your T-Zoot award? It's one of two. It's either McCoy's punching Ian McCall or it's him attacking the two fans. I had him punching Ian McCall because it just felt like more of a your T-Zoot moment. You know what I mean? The Yeah, the, I think we'll give it to that then. Uh, I'll agree with that. Uh, the Francis Begbie swearing award. What did you go for? So I had a Brian Cox line in it, uh, and it's it comes from the the halftime break when he's giving the Rangers team a dressing down, and he says uh, a bunch of fucking potato pickers holding the mighty Glasgow Rangers to one nothing. <laughs> <laughs> one fucking nothing. You think that's funny? One nothing against a bunch of rubbish. You're all smiles. Market horrible. Finishing deplorable. A bunch of fucking potato pickers is holding the mighty Glasgow Rangers to one goal. And you're happy? As a, as, as a kind of special mention, I had um, Robert Duval actually, uh, when, he, when he first finds out that uh, Michael Keaton's thinking of moving the club to Dublin, and he says, you want us to play Gaelic football and use our fucking hands? <laughs> so they were, they, they were my two, but Brian Cox's is my favourite. I'd agree with those two. I'd also like to give a shout out to the old woman at the start who says fucking nutter when <laughs> yeah, that's a good one as McCoy's well. just misses her with a jag and uh, James Cosmo appearing in everything Scottish award did you have well Brian Cox there's not really anyone else yeah this is yeah. It's only really Brian Cox isn't it yeah a lot of the other cast haven't been in much so Brian Cox the Sean Connery awards who got to go home and fuck the prom queen this was tough for me because I think McCoyst is great Duval's great but you know who wins the film for me and steals it? It's Brian Cox. You give it to Brian Cox, the you? Yeah. It's it's because he's in it for so little, but yeah. he does so much. And he's just tremendous. Yes. I gave it to Ali McCoyst. I think just because I was so surprised at how mm, well yeah. he did. You know what I mean? Consid- you know, I thought he did a good job. But um Yeah, he was very good. But I think, you know, I think I think I'll have to defer to you. I think uh, just you know, I, I, I sort of I sort of I, I kinda said it myself a bit earlier on. He just Cox just elevates the movie and he just, you know, he just like I said in my notes, just is chewing the scenery in those dressing room scenes. It's just so unexpected when he turns up. And as you say, he just elevates it. That last half hour, he's... Mm. It's just the Brian Cox show. It's brilliant. Yeah. But you have to wonder, if you think about how different this film could have been, say that like uh, Brian Cox played Gordon McLeod, so he's a lead in it. Say they got uh, Robert Carlyle to play Ali McCoyst. Then Robert Carlyle's played a footballer before. I think, I can't remember which one it is, but it's one of the one of these um, sort of screen two or play for today films. I can't remember, but he, he plays a guy who plays football and he ends up, I think he contracts um, multiple sclerosis or something like that and the kind of team get behind a wee bit. It's a bit of a kind of doer film but you know I remember him being quite good in the football scenes but he's like in a Sunday league footballer he's an amateur he's not a professional so based on that I think Robert Carlyle could have played a good footballer and we know that he's all you know he's a he's a fucking great actor Robert Carlyle and I think he does really get he would he would do the work to you know but imagine like Robert Carlyle is Jack McQu- Jackie McQuillan Brian Cox is Robert is Robert Duvall is Gordon McLeod could have been a fucking it could have been like a cracking film do you know what I mean? Like even better than it already is. <laughs> but then, who are you casting as the Rangers manager? Robbie Coltrane, Alex Norton. Alex Norton could do Rangers. Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah. That's a great shout. 
That sounds like a brilliant film. Norton versus Cox, Old Grudges. Oh, fucking hell. What a movie that what a movie that could be. You can still have all the same guys playing uh, you know, as as members of the team. You can still have all those guys from Dunfermline and Wraith Rovers and Kilmarnock and all that. Um you know, you could even still have Cole Hauser. Maybe he would raise his game with having to act against people like Brian Cox. They're, they're the only changes that you would have to make. You could leave everybody else in their roles. Be a good film. But it would be an even better film. <laughs> So there's no nudity award because there's no nudity apart from Ali McCoy. Well, there is the scene when uh, Brenda runs into the showers with the towels. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> so, do we have any Taggart appearances in this? Was McCoy ever in an episode of Taggart? McCoy, <laughs> I mean, which is which is funny because they did have a football-based episode of Taggart post Mark McManus called Football Crazy, and it's got uh, okay. Tony Roper's in it, I think. Yeah, I think Tony Roper's in it as a as a as a manager. It was was when Jardine was um was the main the main boy in Taggart before Alex Norton joined the cast. And do you know who did the soundtrack to this? I know who did the bits of it. I think maybe not actually. No, who who is it? It was Mark Knopfler. Oh, yeah, because it's a wee bit like um like and local hero. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot yeah, like local is. hero actually. I did I did make a note in my notes. I actually put um soundtracks a bit weird. <laughs> It's all this kind of fiddly uh, sort of Scottish folk music. I like the version of um, Wild Mountain Time that the band do at the at the celebration that they have for getting promoted in the church hall. Yeah, um, I don't know, but I'm quite looking forward to doing Local Hero, although I'm a bit nervous about doing it as well, because it's been years and years since I've seen it. And it is Mark Kermode's favourite film, so maybe I don't need to be nervous. Well, we can look forward to that. Well, that brings us quite nicely to the end. And so, overall... Would you recommend a shot at glory? Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's an interesting film. You know, the casting is obviously just completely bizarre and surreal, and for no other reason, if it's even just for curiosity, <laughs> it's worth watching. You know, like it's, there's there are, there's good performances. We've mentioned Adam McCoy a lot. He's surprisingly good. We kind of. We sort of disagree in Robert Duvall's accent. I think it's inconsistent, but sometimes he does quite a good job. Brian Cox just sort of steals the film towards the end, as you said. It's a good film. You know what I mean? It's good. There's some really funny moments in there. Some quite quite sentimental, nice moments as well. You know, like I said before, the scene when Ali McCoist is talking to his wee boy about taking the penalties. Obviously, McCoist is speaking from a a good point of reference. You know, I'm sure he's he's been in that position many times in his career having to step up and take a penalty so it, there probably wasn't a huge amount of acting involved in, in, in his case you know it's good it's good for I think you know the script's a wee bit uneven at times a bit dodgy um, here and there but overall it's definitely worth a watch great no I would definitely recommend it and I thought it was brilliant yeah I agree so normally this would be the point when you would ask me because it would be my turn, what we're going to be talking about next time. But their next episode is, if you can believe it, an even more special episode than this one, because it's our 25th episode, and we have decided in advance what we're going to watch. So what are we going to watch next time? Well, Greg, I don't think there's many films that you can sum up in just one word. Till next time. Till next time.